Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 130 this morning. Could stand and we'll sing together. My soul waits for the I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. My soul waits for the Lord, soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities.
shall not overflow for I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress you may be seated let us pray Father, we thank you that you loved us when we did not love you. We thank you that you made that love manifest in the person of your son, whom you set to walk, live, and suffer among us and for us. We thank you that you sent Jesus to conquer the sin that works in this world and in our hearts, and that when he faced death, you raised him up, losing the, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. We are thankful that even as he is seated at your right hand, he knows the temptations that meet every one of us in this world. The temptation to power or despair, to crushing doubt or to arrogance, to self-gratification or to moral superiority. We thank you that in the midst of these temptations, the power of sin and the specter of death, you reign and that you have set your son over all powers and spirits in this world and the world to come. By your spirit, we pray that you help us to live in this truth as your children, finding our life in the work and person of Jesus and he living through us as we attend to our daily responsibilities and activities in our neighborhoods, communities, and this city. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Children may be dismissed for children's worship. We'll now continue our worship through a time of confession. We'll first do so corporately through word and then through song and have some time for a silent personal confession. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Gracious Father, give us rest and help us to confess our need to you. Jesus, flood 
take a moment for silent personal confession.
Father, we thank you for being a God of love and mercy. We thank you that you hear us when we pray and that you desire us to restore us to you and to one another. We thank you for your steadfast love that never ceases. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the words of assurance. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Um, just as we have been welcomed by God, let us welcome one another.
The Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The gospel lesson is from John 12. Now there were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was, from who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and, and will glorify it again. 
The crowd that was there um, and heard it said, said that it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning. It's good to be with you and worship together. Thanks, Adonijah, for reading from the scriptures. Uh, as you'll see a note in your order um, that we have been, uh, during the season of Lent, having a sermon series in which we explore how uh, the scriptures speak of God's actions towards our sin and our shame. Uh, we've looked at how God washes away our guilt, how God lifts our burden, God forgives our trespasses, God remembers our sin no more. We're going to do this uh, one more time today, and then uh, next week will Palm Sunday, and then after that, Easter. And so after the next two Sundays, we'll transition to, to the Gospels to look at the narrative of Jesus entering Jerusalem and then his resurrection. Um, but today, we're going to finish this series by considering again how God acts towards our sin. And the hope would be that we can see uh, our need, the nature of our need, and also see the nature of God's care for us. And, and maybe in some fresh ways, see how God has cared for us in the person of Christ. And so today we're going to look at uh, a passage from the book of Colossians in the New Testament in which we see that God is, had nailed our record of debt to the cross. The, our list of trespasses that stood against us, it was canceled because it was nailed to the cross with Christ. This is wonderful news for us. And let's read from our passage. This is Colossians 2 verse 6 through 15, you can follow in your order of worship or in your Bible. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is God's word that's given for our good. Well, we're going to spend most of our time focusing on the last part of this, but as we begin, I just want to highlight how the, the context that it starts with a warning, watch out, watch out, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty words, watch out. They spread this 
ideas through human traditions and empty superstitions about spirit beings. Uh, sounds somewhat confusing, right? But Paul was writing to a church in uh, Colossae, and some there had been led astray that they were kind of giving uh, reverence or superstitious reverence to angelic beings or elemental spirits of the world. And part of this idea was to mistreat the body or have kind of harsh practices against the body as a way of showing this reverence. And Paul reacts to the situation by reminding the church and then to us as well of the primacy of Christ over all things. What I just read echoes chapter 1 in which Paul had written to the church, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so it's to these empty, empty philosophies, empty, empty elemental spirits that Paul contrasts Christ in whom the fullness of God resides. In him, in Christ, you have been filled. And so that context I want us to, to, to hear because it makes this contrast between empty things and things that are filled. And we can imagine the idea of something that is hollow, that is empty versus that which is filled and complete. In a world that's full of challenges, right? In a world that has many voices, Filled with hurt and disappointment, Paul warns the church and us, do not seek life in things that look good but are empty. Do not seek life in things that are hollow, but rather seek what fills you in Christ. And so as we think about this contrast between empty things and Christ who is full of God and then fills us, I want us to ask two questions for us to to see God's actions towards us and, and our need. And the, the first question is, you know, how does our passage describe our need, our, our situation? And the second one we'll ask is, how does God fill us in Christ? So let, let's start with this first question. How does this passage speak about our situation, about our need? How does it speak about our guilt or shame? Well, one thing you might notice, it says that we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our rebellion and breaking of God's law. And exploring this experience, exploring this condition, our passage offers two images that I want us to, to look at. The first image is that our guilt and shame is pictured as a record, a long list of debt that stands against us. A list of debt that we owe with its legal demands standing against us. A list of charges, a list of what we owe, what we fail to take care of. Jesus uses a similar image in one of his parables to talk about our condition. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle the accounts with all his servants. And as he begins the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents which is a vast, vast number, billions, billions of dollars, was brought before the king. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that this person be sold so he could give money to the account. At this, the servant fell on his knees, saying, Be patient with me, I will pay you back everything. 
Jesus says the king looked at him, took pity on him, canceled all his debt, and let him go. Elsewhere, Jesus, when talking to a Pharisee, trying to explain this very seriously religious person, trying to explain the source of joy or, or thanksgiving, Jesus asked the Pharisee, imagine two people owed a moneylender. One owed the moneylender 500 denarii, which is a year and a half salary, and the other 50, which is about two months. Jesus said to the Pharisee, neither one of them could pay him back. And so the moneylender, out of grace and forgiveness, forgave their debts. So which one will love the moneylender more? The Pharisee said, I, I guess it's the one with the larger debt. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. How is our need described? Our need is described through Christ, but in our passage as well, as a bondage, a shame, like a great list of debt that stands over us. Our trespasses against God, against our neighbors, against those near us, like a list that stands there and condemns us. Paul is saying, you have incurred a mountain of debt, a mountain of bankruptcy is a term we could use. Your name is on the list, and you can never hope to repay it. I don't know how this image strikes you. Maybe you can relate, maybe now, or maybe you have known in a time the stress of owing a debt you cannot pay. Maybe you know this now, or I imagine all of us at some time have known a sense of this, the despair. The despair of facing a charge that is beyond your means. Ashamed to even look at it, doing your best to not even acknowledge it. What our passage is inviting us to think about is the reality that all of us are morally bankrupt before God and desperately in need of a pardon. All have a record of debt, an indebtedness that's too great to cover no matter what payment plan we would ask for. The second image that Paul uses to explore our guilt and our shame is that at the end of our passage where he describes, it's, it's somewhat hard for us to kind of work our way through, but it will try here, is that a group of voices that stand over us and judge us. In this case, the group is called rulers and authorities, and they use their power to tell us who we are or who we are not. Scripture uses this term rulers and authorities to talk about human powers, like social and economic and political, but also spiritual forces, things that are visible and also invisible, operating in the world. In the context of the Colossian church, the, there was at least two things that came, came to their mind right away when Paul spoke about rulers or powers in the world. They thought of the Roman Empire, and they thought of the, the temple to the goddess Diana, which was part of their city. It's hard for us to relate maybe to those powers, but if you're like me, we can relate to the idea of looking to a person or to a structure, to an institution with our questions, questions such as, you know, who am I? How am I doing? What does it mean to be successful? Or, or how can I prosper? 
what makes for a good person. Who do I, if anyone, who do I belong to? Maybe in our context, if we think about those type of questions and the powers that would speak to them, we could think about the financial markets, the markets that would tell us how we're doing. Or maybe we can think of the, the images that we're surrounded by all the time, the media images that tell us about what it means to be beautiful or strong. These are powers that directly and indirectly tell us about success, about what matters, about how we're doing. In a chaotic world, these powers assert influence by their criteria, telling us who we are or who we are not. And so this passage is inviting us to think about our shame, about our bondage, about being found wanting in our bank accounts, our portfolios, in our appearance, in our reputations, being found wanting by the powerful ones, the ones who would stand in judgment or offer the right criteria, inviting us to judge ourselves by it. While I was a, a student in St. Louis many years ago, <laughs> One summer I worked at the amusement park Six Flags and I worked on a small roller coaster called the Mine Train. I can tell you all about it if you want some time, but it's a small roller coaster kind of meant to be this idea that you were on a runaway, you know, mine train going through the, the tunnels out of control. But as you made your way into the, to the ride, there was a large building where people could, you know, queue and wait for their turn. But it was a large building that was supposed to look like a, a mining operation. You know, there was all sorts of you know, I don't try to remember shovels and pickaxes and lights and you know things that you would make you imagine you're going into the to the operation. But there would be a there was a series of doors, kind of made to look kind of old and, and rough. These wooden doors. If you open them, you know, as a staff member, I had the privilege of opening the doors. But if you open them, there wasn't precious jewels inside. There wasn't manufacturing equipment. There wasn't you know mining operation stuff. Inside the doors, there was nothing. <laughs> Just empty closets, I guess, waiting to be used for something. It was a facade. And this is, I share this because this is what Paul is warning the church there and warning us about. There's lots of things in our life that look like something, but are empty. And so we can think to ourselves, how do we get out from under this record of debt? How do we get out from these condemning voices? And the way out, we're being invited to see the way out is not by forming a new and improved record, some kind of new list of accomplishments. The way out is not by satisfying the powers or meeting their criteria or trying to appease them or join them. These things are hollow options. There are many traditions in religious actions that look good or maybe make us look good, or ways for us to appease the powers of the day by pursuing money or appearance or reputation. But these are insufficient to free us. 
they're hollow. They cannot set us free. So in contrast, Paul is saying to the church there and, and to us as well, look at Christ. He is the one who has the whole fullness of the deity dwelling in him. In his whole fullness out of this, you have been filled as well. So we, we can't just ask, what does our pastor say about our need? It, we also need to ask, how does it speak of God's actions in Christ? How does God fill us? And I hope we can see as our passage proclaims that God, through the cross of Christ, has done two things. First, he set aside our record of debt with all its legal demands. And second, he has triumphed over the powers that seek to judge and claim us. In order to establish forgiveness and the cancellation of our debt, God nailed our hopeless an oppressive promissory note to Christ's cross. Jesus took the record of debt that bore our name, that stood against us, and he canceled it. He took our list, he made it his own, and nailed it to the cross through his body. Therefore, Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has satisfied our debt. Even if it was vast, even in the image that Jesus gave himself, billions and billions of dollars. The list has been canceled. It's been set aside. He bore in his body. He liberated us, breaking its power over us, bringing release and thanksgiving. The idea being here, the, a gospel statement that it is taken care of. It is no more. And maybe we can think for a moment if we've had the experience of the stress of debts upon us, the relief, the relief of them no longer standing against us. As our pastor says, God forgives us all our trespasses, all the complete record, every debt. Well, I said that he has done two things the second, along with setting aside the record of doubt, Jesus through the cross disarmed the rulers and authorities. This is at the very end of our passage, saying he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So what does that mean? How, how, how did Jesus free us from those who would seek to judge us or to be powers over us? And I want us to think for a moment about the cross the Roman cross was an instrument. It was used by the powers of that day in Rome, and through it, the rulers and authorities thought they had silenced and conquered Jesus. This is just what they had always done. This is how the cross worked, using violence to silence and control. But Jesus turned the cross into the very instrument of their defeat. You see, when he was suspended on the cross, bound in weakness, the powers imagined that this was one more moment in a series of moments in which they could judge another, declaring Jesus a loser, one outside the powers, one who was not worthy to pay attention to or to follow. But on the cross, Jesus was actually grappling with them, mastering them, 
stripping of them of their armor in which they trusted. In his death and resurrection, he was displayed to the universe as the very one to follow, the one who had been victoriously risen, the one who was greater than the powers that sought to define him. They could not control him. Their judgment was undercut by the very judgment of God, who said, this is my son, the name above all names. That's why it says in our final verse that God in Christ stripped the powers of their weapons and bound them in view of a jeering crowd, disarming them and dragging them as in a victory parade. The whole universe seeing that Jesus had risen, had overcome the power of the cross. It is a full and complicated verse, but the idea being that the deed has been accomplished. The decision has been made in the cross of Christ. God has canceled the record of our debt. It is no more. And he has triumphed over all the powers that would judge us or set criteria upon us. I asked before, how do we get out from under these things, from under our guilt and our shame? Provided not to give ourselves to empty things, but in Christ, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. We have been filled in him. The poet uh, Louise Gluck, when she was talking about her work as a poet, she has a, a line which she said that when she was a child, when she first started reading poems, she writes, I thought of the words as my companions. I thought of the words as my companions. My companions, my friends, those who I spend time with, those who share my life. And what I want to invite you to consider is that when we feel the record of our failings, when we feel the powers and the criteria that they would place upon us. Let the companions of our life be the words that God has spoken to us in Christ. May God's words and the gospel of what he has done be your companions. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Jesus, having forgiven all your trespasses through the cross. These words, these companions are the words that will endure and stand with us when we feel the record, when we feel the voices. How does God fill us in Christ? For we are invited in faith to be baptized into his name. To join in Christ meaning that we are not alone, but that we are in and with Christ, that he has filled us. This is the promise of our baptism, of our faith in Christ. That this is a sure reality that we can stand upon. See, it's not my reality, it's not yours, it's not something I'm hoping to put together because of my record or because of my resume. This filling is something that we receive as a gift from God. He fills our account with his righteousness. He fills the question, who am I with his son? You are the righteous child, fully accepted in Christ. 
How does God fill us with the gift of Christ who gives us words, companions that stand with us against the guilt and shame and burdens that seek us? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that it would speak an encouragement to us that we'd find our identity not in what we can do or stand, but in what you have done and how you filled us in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we join in singing?
be seated. Well, having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. The sacrament of communion is uh, something that we can see and hold and taste. It's a, a visible picture of, of the gospel, of the good news of Christ, and it echoes what we just studied in our passage. The bread and the cup broken and, and poured out speak of Christ's sacrifice. He took upon himself our record of debt, having it be canceled in the cross. Our forgiven, our sins forgiven, we have a new, a freedom in him. But this table also is a table, a meal in which we are invited to gather around as God's people. So not only is something taken away, our, our sins, but we are given something, a new identity as the children of God. Those who not only are forgiven, but received in love. An identity that belongs to Christ, but now comes to us. The beloved of God. The beloved of the Father. So if you know of your need, your need before God, and you have faith in Christ, then come and eat and drink. Enjoy the, the rest and the, the gift of God for you in Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ, let this table be a, an invitation and a witness to the nature of the kingdom. A kingdom in which we are, our sins are taken or canceled out, but also a new identity is given. Children of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this table, and we pray, Lord, that you would meet us here by your spirit. Lord, we come as people who know what it is to know the shame, the shame of our guilt, of our falling short, of our failures. Lord, we know what that is, and so we give thanks that you invite us as sinners to come, that we can find rest and forgiveness in Christ and have our heads lifted as we're given the name of children, sons and daughters of God. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Of course, often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite you to come forward to the table to receive the bread and the cup, and you can go back to your seats on the side. I ask that you would hold the elements until everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink together as one family. If you're not taking communion this morning, we're, we're glad that you're here, and we still invite you to come forward. If you just put your arm across your chest, we can offer prayer blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward this time, and let us come to the table that God gives us with his gifts.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing as God's people in response to the table. Lord Jesus, you have shown us with your life, death, and resurrection what faithfulness means. Strengthen us to be faithful to your gospel as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will Occasionally in our service, we have a chance to hear from our mission partners and get an update and how we can encourage them and pray for them. So I'm going to invite uh, Rob uh, to come forward <laughs> and can share with us. Good morning or afternoon. I don't know how you classify it, but um, uh, as the order of worship says, my name is Rob Glowkey. I'm married to Elizabeth. We have three children. We've been coming to LSPC since almost the very beginning, back in late 2010 early 2011. We're very thankful to be a part of this community, and we're also very thankful that you support us in the work that we do through Hockey Ministries International. Um, God was gracious enough to me to let me play a kid's game for a living for a good chunk of my adult life, and uh, he probably knew I couldn't handle anything else. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, towards the end of my playing career, playing hockey, uh, I was pursuing an MBA, and I had grand visions of becoming a businessman after I retired. People always yell at me when I say retired when I'm only 30 years old. But when, when I re was going to retire, that was my plan, going to be a businessman. Uh, but God had different plans, obviously. And I'm always astounded by God's gentleness, his kindness, his patience with me because he very easily could have dragged me, beat me over the head with a hockey stick and said, I want you to be in ministry. But he didn't do that. Uh, every time I took a couple steps down the path. Uh, he would gently <laughs> lead me down a different path than the one that he wanted me to go. And, you know, 20 years later, you look back and you say, oh, man, God knows what he's doing. So here I am today. Uh, like I said, I work for an organization, organization called Hockey Ministries International. And uh, the mission, our mission, is to reach the world of hockey with the hope found in Jesus Christ. And we do that in a lot of different ways. But the two main ways we do that is through um, chapels and camps. Our chapels ministry are, is basically small Bible studies uh, to hockey teams throughout North America and Europe. And we have close to 300 of these chapels running uh, with a lot of volunteer chaplain leading these. And uh, a big part of my job is to oversee the operations of all 300 chapels. Uh, we have usually about 5 to 15 players that attend these chapels on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, so we're reaching, uh, you know, a couple thousand players throughout the season. 
And uh, like I said, I oversee a lot of staff and volunteers, but that's honestly kind of the boring behind the scenes part of that job that you guys don't want to hear about. The other cool part of the chapel's uh, aspect of our ministry is that I also serve as a chaplain to a handful of professional teams and college teams throughout the Chicagoland and lower Wisconsin area. So um, that's always more of a, I guess, a fun job for me, and I get a lot more fun stories from that job. A lot of people, when they hear chapels, they think, and, and me being a chaplain, they think it's a bunch of Christian guys coming to listen, and I kind of give them a little service, and we do that kind of thing. And maybe it's like that in football or baseball, but hockey, finding a Christian is like finding a needle in a haystack. It's, it's, uh, I was a Christian while I played, and it's a very lonely place. Sometimes I'm the only Christian on any given team. So my role as a chaplain is a lot more evangelistic. It's... Uh, a lot more sharing the gospel with people that need to hear it. And it brings mixed emotions. On, on one hand, it's very discouraging because every time I go to the rink, uh, I get to meet with guys and see guys who, like on the weekends or whenever they play, there's kids running up to them for their autographs and there's people saying, wow, I wish I had your life or your job. And, you know, they play the part. But then when they come to chapel, they are much, you realize they're very lost and they're searching. They're like ships at sea just kind of floating around through life and they're looking for answers. So it's very discouraging in that sense, but it's also pretty cool in the sense that I, I'm the one that gets to tell them uh, something of truth and uh, lead them towards something that will give them hope in life. So just as a quick example of that, earlier in this season, uh, back in the fall, I was meeting with uh, one of my university teams and there's a handful of upperclassmen, so I kind of know them already. But just to get a feel for the room, uh, I asked the group, would you say that you are a Christian? Would, would you say that you're a follower of Christ? And there was 11 guys at that first chapel, and they went around the room and gave their answers. And by the end of it, nine out of the 11 said no. They weren't a Christian. They weren't a follower of Christ, which is cool. At least they're honest with me. That's nice. Um, and then two of the guys said that they were, but it was interesting. One of the guys said... His, his response, one of the guys that said they were a Christian says, I think I'm a Christian, but I don't live like one. So I don't know, maybe you guys can relate to that too. I sure can. Um, God's amazing in, in the people that he brings through a game, a silly game, a fun game called hockey. Somehow he brings these guys into a place where they're willing to, uh, to share about who they are and what they're looking for in life. So that's chapels. The other part of our ministry is camps. Uh, and that happens during the summer, and, and these are for youth hockey players ages 9 to 17. Uh, and if you, the easiest way to describe our camps are like if you picture a Bible camp, and then you collide it with a hockey camp, and that's kind of what our hockey ministries, hockey camps are like. So we do teach hockey, we teach off-ice training and all that stuff, but we also combine it with a, um, it's very outreach-oriented aspect, but we do a couple Bible studies throughout the day with the kids and have a worship service at night, so it's kind of like a combination of a hockey camp and a, and a Bible camp throughout the week. And again, at our hockey camps, we have maybe 50% of the kids that come from Christian homes, but 50% of the kids that come to our camps are from un, unchurched, unchristian homes. And so it's a, it's a unique outreach opportunity to reach a lot of people through the game of hockey. Um, and that's pretty much what I do in a nutshell. I'll just, one final plug, there's, there's these flyers on the back. There's a few flyers on the back. I host a breakfast always at the last weekend of April, April 29th. It's a Saturday at 8.30 a.m., so it's kind of early. But 
It's a chance, if you are interested in supporting the work that Elizabeth and I do uh, through Hockey Ministries and, and just to learn more about uh, what it is we do and hear stories of people who have been impacted through our ministry, it's a, it's a good thing to come, come to. So, again, it's 8.30 a.m., Saturday, April 29th. There's flyers in the back that has a website. There's also the websites in the order of worship and the weekly email. And just this year, we one of our, our keynote speakers is a guy, his nickname in his first part of his life was the despicable Billy Butters. And he lived a certain way on the ice and off the ice, which he earned the, that name. But he ended up coming to uh, one of our ministry events uh, as a 30-year-old gentleman and was completely changed uh, through our ministry. So he's got a pretty cool story. So if you want to hear that, more than welcome to come. Thanks, Rob. Um, let, me, uh, let me offer a prayer. Um, thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to hear from Rob. And we, we pray for a blessing on Rob and Elizabeth and Mabel, George, and Otto, that we would care for them as a family and we give you thanks for them. And we, we also thank you for HMI and the, the work that's happening in the hockey world. And we pray that you would continue to be at work through the chapels and camps and all sorts of other ways. Um, thank you for Rob and his gifting, and we pray that you'd strengthen him by the Spirit, that he'd be fruitful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Rob. Well, uh, if, if you have questions or want to learn more about the breakfast, like I said, talk to, talk to Rob or grab one of the flyers in the back. Um, we'd be great to, to learn more about it. We're going to continue worshiping through the giving of our gifts to the, to the work of the church. And so I'm going to go ahead and invite the, uh, the greeters to come forward. There is a, a gray basket you can put your uh, communion cup in, and then there's a silver offering plate. If you'd like to give a gift, you can do that. If you'd like to give, you can also do it through the, the church website. Um, you can see information in your order about how to do that by text or through the website. Um, just a couple other things. If, if you are visiting, welcome. We're really glad that you've joined us today. And um, glad you could be part of the worship service. Uh, a couple of things. There is a time of coffee and bagels afterwards. Uh, over in the, the cafeteria, it's to my left. Uh, normally, we would just go out the back doors, but they're doing construction on a new playground. So the way to get to the cafeteria, you kind of go behind me in the hallway and, and go that way. Go that way, sorry. And then you'll make your way um, to some coffee and bagels. Hopefully, you can stay after. A chance to get to know each other. Uh, also, if you are uh, new to the church and like to receive the weekly email or have a chance to learn more about the church, uh, we have uh, Connect cards. You can fill one out online. There's a, a, Q, a QR code in the back of your order. You can do that. Or there's uh, uh, Connect cards in the back table. And you can fill one out and drop it in. And I'm happy to sign you up for the weekly email and tell you more about life at the church here. Let's continue to give our worship through the giving of our gifts to God. Rise for the singing of our doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here. Be. 
God's blessing. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, may the love of God surround you now and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. You may go in peace.